6. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is God's word. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Sam, and I'm one of the elders here. And for those who were able to come uh, yesterday, it was a long day for the uh, the training we had, but it was just awesome. And so uh, the uh, audio for that and <clears throat> and most of the video, because the video got a little messed up, will be available uh, the audio in four parts, and so we'll post that up there. And so I'd encourage everyone uh, to listen to that uh, because it is in it's deeply encouraging. And uh, it le- I left basically, uh, I mean, it's like teaching slash preaching. Uh, half the time you want to cry, half the time you want to sing, and uh, it was really awesome. And so it, it encouraged me, and I think it will encourage you, and it will show you where we're going with our, um, kind of with our road groups and, and, and some of the, uh, really just the foundational principles of, um, of our identity in Christ is really what it came down to. It was awesome. So right now, though, we're in... Uh, a five-week series. We're in week three, and uh, it's called Grace, and really it's examining um, the riches of God's grace, or as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, if you ever listen to him, it's like, riches of God's grace. It's like, oh man, it's awesome the way he says it like a million times as he goes through Ephesians 1. But it's the riches of God's grace uh, from before the beginning of time until after time ends, and after it's all done, if you will. That's how vast God's grace is. So last week we considered uh, maybe the darkest part of, of uh, the series, examining what made grace necessary, which is our sin. Um, and we looked at what sin has really done to us. And just kind of open up the Scriptures and let them speak for themselves uh, about what has sin done. Has it just kind of hindered us and bruised us and, and made it difficult for us? Or has it just totally destroyed us in in every aspect of our life. Um, And it's interesting to think about that God created man back in Genesis 1 and 2 uh, to know and enjoy His goodness, but with the opportunity to know evil. Put the tree there. So don't eat from that. And God basically said, look, you can know Me or you can know everything else. And... Man chose everything else. And from there, man, uh, through the sin of Adam, death came to us all, sin entered the world, destroyed our relationships. Um, And to describe the fallen nature of man, the Bible uses very stark terms. Like there's no guessing on exactly, I, I don't think, about what sin has done to us. It uses terms like man is dead in his sin. Man is enslaved to his sin. Man is blind, blinded to see the truth. Man is hostile. They are enemies toward God. These are the phrases that the Bible uses to describe us. And so, man basically became lost. Completely lost, in the dark, uncertain of who they were, unwilling to ask for help, and really unable to save themselves. And while all of this grieved God, never believed that it didn't grieve God, even though none of it surprised Him, right? It grieved Him, but it didn't surprise Him because before a single atom of matter was created, Ephesians 1 says that God had before the foundations of the world formulated a perfect, unstoppable plan to reclaim those He loves to the praise of His glorious grace. And all that to say in the most simplest of terms, there are no accidents. God doesn't call any emergency meetings. There's no plan B because plan A went bad. God has planned it from beginning to after the end and it will come to pass. And every step of His plan has come to pass. And we read the Bible and we see a pretty messed up people whom God is leading and guiding and protecting and orchestrating all things to bring about the redemption of man to the praise of His glorious grace. 
And he executes his plan in a very unique way. He chooses to execute it through the power of his word going forth as the Spirit comes and together calls men out of death, out of slavery, out of darkness, into life and into freedom and into the light. And it's by grace through faith that God gives His chosen a new heart and it begins to beat with new desires. And I've often asked the question, how do I know I'm saved? Right? How do you know? And I think it has to do with your disposition towards Jesus, your disposition towards sin, your disposition towards people. Because you have new desires in Christ. You have new attitudes in Christ. You have a new disposition towards sin in Christ. Don't mistake it. It's not that you just stop sinning. But it grieves you in a way that never did before. There's a war going in your heart that was never there before. That's God. That's God making someone alive. That's God opening their eyes in the midst of a dark world that they didn't before know they lived in. John 1 says it like this, that Jesus came to His own and His own people did not receive Him, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Now catch this. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, right? Dead men don't just make themselves alive. Blind men don't make themselves see wasn't by the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. The will of man is totally desiring of sin apart from God. He says, but it was of God. So you have this divinely planned, divinely initiated, divinely executed change that occurs in the relationship between God and man. If you haven't like gotten the idea, God does it all. Okay? He transforms dead creations into new creations, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And if you read verse 18, all this is from God. What's this? The new creation that he's created. And so we sit back and go, oh my. Lord, I have done nothing. You have done everything. How could you love someone so unlovable, so rebellious, so blind, so enslaved, hostile towards you? And you go, grace. And so when we end this series, my hope is that you are just in awe of grace. Not that you have a perfect theological system to explain or, or that you can point all these different things out in the Bible, but flat out, you step back and just go, God loves me in a way that is inexplicable. In a way that is inspiring. In a way that's humbling. The grace of God has done everything necessary to bring us back into relationship with Him. And so Paul continues, we're just spending our time in these 14 verses, and I know I've been going all over, I'm going to go all over today. The notes are online, so if you get lost, you can always look at those later. But in Ephesians 1.5 or 4b, so we'll kind of scoop back a little bit, it talks about adoption. This thing called adoption. He says, in love, I think it's important to add, in love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Hold on to that phrase. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in His beloved. So, if God before the foundation of the world is planning to adopt, that implies something about the state of man or what men are going to become, and that is orphans. If you're being adopted, you're an orphan. We are orphans. Men in their flesh are orphans. They have inherited a sinful nature from our first parents. And then we willfully and joyfully pursue our own fleshly desires. Or as Ephesians 2 said last week, 
we became children of wrath. And we enjoyed following the course of this world, blinded to the slavery that we thought was going to save us. I should say the God that thought was going to save us and the gods that we worship ended up enslaving us. So in rebellion, we just kind of continue the story, we ran away from our true father and we chose to live as orphans in what we'll just call the devil's adoption agency. Okay? We are children of wrath in the devil's adoption agency. So hold on to that image. And we want to be there. Like the rest of mankind. And so an orphan by definition, if you just look up orphan, that's a child who has been deprived of parental love and parental protection and parental care. And traditionally, but we see that morphing in our world today, an orphan is created by death. The death of parents, father and mother. So spiritually speaking, what happened? Death came into the world because of sin. We know that in Romans 5.12, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, so death spread to all mankind, because all sin, so sin made men orphans. What does that mean? Well, think about an orphan for a second. Maybe some of you were orphans. Maybe some of you have adopted orphans. I know many have. So if you think of the mentality of an orphan a little bit, an orphan, every orphan, desires in their heart to be adopted. Every orphan has a deep heart level longing to be accepted and to be loved. In other words, if we're all orphans, spiritually speaking, every single Man, woman, child is struggling for validation of some kind because none of them feel worthy. None of them really feel at a heart level loved. All of them feel unacceptable. And so as we live in the world, right? We go about the world. We're born in the world. We live in the world. We pursue. And as I said, we don't pursue the ultimate pleasure. We don't go... We're not as bad as we could be. No one is. Even Hitler helped an old lady across the street probably. Right? But as we go about the world, living in what amounts to the adoption agency for the devil, men look for different fathers. Spiritually speaking. Looking for acceptability. Looking to feel worth it. If I get this, I will finally... Everything will be worth it and I will be worthy, is what they're thinking. And there are lots of dads to choose from. Lots of idols, I like to say dads, to choose from. Who will give you that affirmation. Different kinds of saviors that we believe are going to rescue us from, guess what, that feeling of worthlessness that we're all pursuing. And and everyone, if we shared our stories, everyone has a different one. Some people choose substances. I believe that's going to save them from those feelings of worthlessness. Some choose a relationship. If I get married, that's going to save me. Some choose all kinds of immorality. Some choose morality. All trying to be acceptable. If I'm good enough, I'll be acceptable. There's the moral one, right? If I follow the rules... It'll be, I'll be made worthy. I'll look worthy. If I get this kind of job, if I get this kind of money, or do, I'll, I'll be, it'll be worth it all. I'll be worthy. None are found though. No true fathers are found because there's really none to be found. And so as orphans, this is how we live. Okay. This is what I think an orphan is. I think there's a slide for you. You can put that first one up. Orphans are all these things. Ultimately, orphans are fatherless. 
as we think about the flesh of man and, and where we're at. And what does it mean? Orphans are uncertain who they are, really. They have no identity, and so they search for one. No one of them to tell them who they are. They, they search for an identity, and because they can't find one, or told, like, this is who you are. This is where you come from. They begin to define themselves by what they do. Some by what they've achieved. Some by what they've done right. Some by what they've done wrong. Some by what others think of me. We aren't defined by who our Father says that we are. We're defined, unfortunately, by trying to find an identity in the world. We're also undisciplined. What does that mean? Well, without a father, we're pretty weak. We're pretty defenseless. We're vulnerable to all kinds of negative influences because we have no one there who is loving enough to protect us and tell us where the boundaries are. Like, we realize that the Bible says God disciplines those He loves. So when you're undisciplined, that's not to say unpunished. That's to say that you have no one loving enough to say, no, this is where you need to stop. That's life as an orphan. Orphans are fearful. Like, what, what do they have to fear? Well, they want to be adopted and they're fearful of being rejected. They become enslaved to performance because they're never quite sure they're good enough. They don't feel good enough. I'm in an adoption agency, right? And so they try to be good. Believing most of the time as they make mistakes that they're just really bad and no one loves them enough to pick them. And orphans are alone. Why? Because they have no family. They have no family. That often leads, spiritually speaking, orphans to build communities to try and accomplish that family. And what they end up doing is gathering with other orphans just as messed up as they are and they never actually heal. And orphans are, I think, a little bitter. And this is where I think orphans live believing, and again, we're talking about men in their flesh, they live believing that they deserve more. That they're entitled to more. And that they're situation, the circumstances are not their fault. They live a little bit like victims where they blame people, institutions, circumstances for the fact that they're so lost and they're so unloved and they're so abandoned. And this is a this is the majority of what people feel. This is men in their flesh. Orphans are insecure, right? They live and measure their lives according to comparisons with others. I think they end up competing with other people out of insecurity based on they don't know who they are, they don't know what they're, all they have is to compare with other people then, and so it's very difficult for them to rejoice when other people find success. Hey, I'm great, you got adopted out, my life still sucks. And I think maybe the, the darkest one is that they're they're somewhat hopeless because they don't really know what their future holds. They have no guarantees of what the future holds. Sin made us orphans. Our sin made us orphans. We chose to be orphans. And we live, therefore, in our flesh, fatherless. Without all these things, without the security of the Father, the protection of a Father, the love of a Father, the teaching and direction of a Father, And so as spiritual orphans, there's this spiritual kind of sadness that, that people, this hole that people are trying to fill because they feel so unwanted, they feel so unaccepted, they feel so unworthy. And in truth, men in their flesh, we saw last week, are unworthy. They are unlovable. So the feelings that we're feeling, or the feeling that, that's genuine. You've rebelled against your dad. And then, as we sit in the devil's adoption agency, right? You think about your adoption file. 
I don't know how thick it is. But guess what? We all have one the same thickness. And we consider as we open it up all the things, all of the hate, all of the rebellion, all of the times we haven't loved where we ought and hated where we ought not, all the times we've been selfish, all the times we haven't served, all the times we haven't given. Like, it's all there. And we all think to ourselves, who would ever want that? I'm going to bring that into my family? Like when you think about, I was thinking about this the other day, about my past, and, and everyone has their own story, and I have a broken past where, where um, there's, there's sexual morality in my past, and lust, and, and anger, and, and, and lying, and there's all that in my past. And I was thinking about some of the sexual sins that I may have committed in, in my past, and I think it's easy to call it like, oh, it's sexual morality, that's bad, forgiven, whatever. But when you begin to view yourself as previously like a sexual abuser, like we think of sexual abuse like, well, those are the, the men that, that abuse little kids. Like what about just as your sin as a teenager or whatever, like especially you guys, begin to view yourself as a sexual abuser. Would you want to adopt a sexual abuser into your family? You begin to see what that file is full of. And how Jesus, right, when He came to the Sermon on the Mount, or like, well, I've just lusted. He's like, well, if you've lusted in your heart, you committed adultery. Or if you've hated, you're a murderer. Would you adopt a murderer into your family? You start to see the ugliness of sin and the file that is growing, and you're like, how will I ever be loved? Who would ever want to love me? In the hours before Jesus would be arrested and sentenced to die, this is what Jesus said to His disciples in John 14. He says, I'll not leave you as orphans. I found great comfort in this verse this week. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will live. I will not leave you as orphans. Now, mind you, the disciples, none of them were orphans. He's speaking about something deeper here. Spiritually. You see, God didn't need us. This is what blows me about about grace. God doesn't need you. But He wants you. And the lengths that He went to adopt you are just awesome. In the true sense of the word, awesome. The truth is though, God couldn't bring us into His family in our present condition with our file that big. He couldn't. God is holy. God is perfect. God cannot, will not be in the presence of sin. And so in order to get into God's family, we have to have a perfect record. And here we all sit with an encyclopedia of sin in our adoption files. In order to live with God, in order to be with God, in order to be reconciled back with our true Father, our adoption files have to be expunged. But more than that, we can't just erase it all and go back to neutral. He has to actually make us perfect and holy. We have to have a perfect, sinless performance record. Because you and I know that even if God said, okay, let's start over, by the time you got out of this building, you will have sinned. It's not enough just to be neutral. It can't be dependent upon me because even if you start with a clean record, I'm going to screw it up at my first opportunity. 
there's a beauty in the fact that Jesus didn't wait for us to get clean. Jesus doesn't tell you, clean up your ugly record and then I'll love you. Don't forget what Romans 8 says. I'm sorry, Romans 5. While we're still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not the clean, not the good kids, not the godly. While we were still weak, while we were still broken, while we were still orphans, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, rebellious, hostile enemies towards God, loving our time and the devil's adoption agency, Christ died. Before the foundation of the world, God plans for our adoption. And through adoption, God claims us. He calls us back as His children and brings us into His family, but at an infinite cost. An infinite cost. If we go back to Romans 8, right? We've been looking at Ephesians chapter 1 and Romans 8, particularly the last, well, the verses around 30, 28 to 30. And in verse 30, it says this, right? Those he predestined, he called. So we talked about the first sermon, like the idea of God planning before time, marking out before time what he was going to do, choosing before time. It says, those he predestined, what he called. And we talked about that last week. He makes you alive. He calls to you and you respond to Him because He has called to you. Because He has given you a new heart. What's the next thing He says? In those He called, He justified. So in Ephesians 1, He says, He predestined us for adoption. And in Romans 8, He says, those He predestined, He's called. And those He called, He justified. So we could say, He predestined us for adoption. He predestined us for justification. And you have to put both of those together. Justification. This big theological word. It's what makes our adoption possible. John Stott, a really wicked smart British old guy who's dead now, said it this way, Justification simply is a legal term borrowed from the law courts. It is the exact opposite of condemnation. That's important. To condemn, I'm sorry, yeah, to condemn is to declare someone guilty. To justify is to declare him not just innocent, but righteous. In the Bible, this refers to God's unmerited favor, right? His grace by which he puts a sinner right with himself, not just by pardoning him, not just by acquitting him, but by accepting him and treating him as righteous. This truth should change your life. Most Christians do not live according to this truth. So we'll unpack it a little bit. Romans 8 says it this way, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, right? Our sin could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned our sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us the cost of adoption who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, very simply this. Our justification means three things. Okay? And it's legal. Before the judge of the universe, he does this. He makes this legal. First thing is our legal exoneration. What does that mean? We are declared innocent. You may have grown up in a youth group and heard the word justified and and you go, well, that's just justified, never sinned. No. It's God's justice satisfied. Okay? Don't. Yes, God forgives. 
but is an infinite cost to Himself. His Son bought you. His Son's blood was shed for you. It is not cheap. It is infinitely expensive. But through the death of Jesus Christ, through the blood shed, we are forgiven. Think about this. What does this mean? This means that God forgives your past sin. What sin? All of it. Psalm 103, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, which is pretty high, so great is His steadfast love. How many times love is brought out when we talk about the death of Jesus Christ? His love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Every sin that you've committed in the past. And I've said this often, if I gave you a piece of paper infinitely long and said, write down every sin you've ever committed, you realize you would never be able to account for it. There's a reason why Israel was given a sacrifice for unintentional sins, because there were sins that they didn't even remember they did. There were times when you should have loved and you didn't, should have given and didn't, should have served and didn't, were selfish and never noticed it, were prideful and don't recognize it. When we think of our past sins, we think of like, well, I remember that time I punched that guy in the face and shouldn't have done that. Yeah, that was a big one. I remember when I cheated on that. Yeah, that was a big one. But even the little ones are big. There is one lawgiver, and every sin is worthy of death. But every sin is forgiven in the past. Every sin is also forgiven in the present, right? Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now. Circle, highlight, star, arrow, that word. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it gets even better. What about my future sin? Now you realize God planned this before the foundation of the world, which is even before time. And even right now, as God's outside time, He sees the beginning and the end all at the same time. Now that's both good and bad. Good in this. The songs you sang this morning, God will hear for eternity. Perpetually. He will hear. He also sees all the sin at once, right? Every sin you ever commit. Sins you don't even know you're going to commit, but He does. And that is when He sent His Son to die for you. Knowing everything you would commit. 1 John 2.1 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, I won't ask you to raise your hand if you're going to be in that category because you all better stink and raise your hand. So I'll just assume them raise. Everyone keep your hands down if you're guilty of this. Excellent, right? But if anyone does sin, what do we have? An advocate with the Father. What is this saying? Your past sins are forgiven. Your present sins are forgiven. Your future sins are... We stand forgiven in Christ. Completely. Fully. But what if I do this? You have an advocate with a Father who stands and says, that's mine, I took that. He wouldn't forgive that. Nope, took that one too. But I keep sinning. I keep doing the same thing. Jesus says, I paid for every single one of those and I'm going to pay for the next 15 that He does of that same sin. We're forgiven. We're declared innocent, but it gets better. We're not only legally exonerated, we're legally unified with Christ. We're not just declared forgiven, we're declared righteous. We are declared good. We are declared glorious. We are given Christ's life and He takes our death. We are given Christ's perfect performance record. We receive the love that Jesus deserves from the Father. Do you realize the love that the Father and Jesus have for one another? The Father has loved Jesus perfectly since eternity. And that is how Jesus and the Father love you. Because you have not just been declared innocent, you have been declared righteous. When God sees you, He sees His Son for those who are in Christ, and He sees you as glorious 
and wonderful and beautiful and there's nothing you can do to change His love for you. Because His love for you isn't based on your performance. It's not based on the mistakes you made. It's not based on the awesome success you have. It's based off of Jesus whose life was perfect. Whose death was sufficient. So you're declared innocent. But more than that, you're declared righteous. And I know you don't often feel like that because we don't like, man, I screwed up. And you need to turn your eyes towards the cross and remember the resurrection. Because the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus is the adoption price. I'm going to cover. My infinite blood is going to cover all that sin. And guess what? The resurrection is the receipt paid in full. It's God saying, yep, done. It is finished. From before the beginning till the after the end. And we're given all this by faith. What is faith? What if my faith hinders? What if my faith stinks? What if my faith really isn't that good? What if it's not that deep? Your salvation is not based on the depth or the quality even of your faith, but on the object of your faith. What is the confession? Here's the confession. I believe Jesus did it all. That's it. I believe Jesus is the way I'm saved. I believe Jesus is the proof that God loves me. That's it. Titus says it this way, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, declared innocent and righteous by His grace, not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, by His grace, that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Heirs! Sons and daughters! Heirs! We are brought into His family. Right? It's not just legal exoneration or legal union. It's, it's legal empowerment. We live as sons. We go from orphans to sons and daughters. What does that mean? Oh, it means blessing. We are blessed because we no longer have to fear that we're too bad to deserve God's love. We are blessed because we no longer have to perform and do good things to get God's love. We are blessed because we can approach God like a father, not a boss who's going to demote me or or fire me because I suck at being a Christian. As a father who loves me unconditionally, is he grieved at times? Yes, but never to reject you. You are a son, irrevocably, in the family, forever. We are blessed Because we are freed from having to compare or compete with others because we just have family members that God loves. So I can rejoice with my brother who rocks at preaching if I stink. We don't have to compete. There's no point system. I've got 100%. And so do you. I don't have to fear performing. I don't have to fear being good enough. God says, I love you. Approved. Remember Jesus' baptism, right? This is my son who I'm well pleased. Put your name. This is my Sam in whom I'm well pleased. This is my, put your name in there, in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus hadn't done a lick of anything at that point. We are blessed because we're part of a family. The church is supposed to be a family. The Big C Church, right, is the family of God, and this is a little mini expression of His family. We're family. And therefore we know each other and love each other and seek to help each other because we're, we're all in this together. We're all adopted the same agency. We all have the same thick files. We're no longer alone. And unfortunately, many people go from church to church and never figure that out. They don't 
experience the love of a family, and that's on us. There's supposed to be a genuine love. But we're blessed because we have security of a guaranteed future too. We know where we're headed. We're going back to be with Dad. And it's going to rock. It's going to be awesome. And He's preparing a place for us. It's going to be beautiful. And we're going to be in His presence. But right now, we can live and delight in God. We can delight in God like a little kid, right? Because we still like to impress Dad. Everyone, I don't care who you are, there's a part of you deeply that wants to hear your dad say, Man, you're awesome. I love you. And I was listening to an interview with Rich Mullins. I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos lately. I'm watching on Rich Mullins. He's an old 90s singer that maybe some of you don't know. You older people, you know what I'm talking about, right? And he had some interviews that are really interesting. And one thing he talked about was the way the father looks at us. And he said he'd go to his friends' houses and he would see drawings on the refrigerator of his kids, right? And they'd be like, yeah, look at that. And he's like, that's the ugliest I've ever seen. Like, what's so great about that? It's like a line, right? And I understood this finally, I think, when I was a father, right? When your son or your daughter finally bring a drawing to you, and they're like, look. And it looks like a pile of puke or something. You're like, you know. And you could just be like, well, that's not really very good, son. You know, that's, you're coloring way outside the lines. And it's just, just bad. But good try. We put it on the refrigerator. <laughs> put it on the refrigerator? It's embarrassing, right? That's not what happens. What is it? Oh, yeah. That's awesome. If you believed you believe that what you did for the Lord had that kind of reaction? Where no matter what you did, even when you fail, it's like, man, nice try. That was awesome. How would that change how you lived? Like, how would you see, how do you see the Lord Jesus' face right now when you think of his face? Is he disappointed? Is he looking away? Because that's not what he's doing. He's delighting. He's delighting. But I screwed up. He knows. Just admit it. And he'll embrace you. He's faithful. Even when we're not. Sadly, I think there are a lot of Christians who don't live in the joy of their justification and their adoption. They live like orphans. They live uncertain if God really loves them. Uncertain if like they got to do good things or uncertain if they've done too many bad things. Uncertain of where they're going. Not certain if God's really going to protect them. Does God really love me right now? Fearful that you'll do enough to, for God to go, well, that's it. You're out of the family. What if you could live without that fear? One of my favorite verses, I like 1 John, I think it could be my favorite book, but 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Fear has to do with punishment. The punishment for your sin, for your failures, for all the ways that you feel like you fell short. I agree, we have. But there's no punishment that's all been poured out on Jesus. We've been given His sinlessness. Been given His righteousness. If God loved you that much as an orphan, how much more as a son and a daughter? Right? If He went that length to love you in your ungodliness, how much more as you become part of His family? We do not obey to be accepted. We sit in our acceptance and, and therefore we obey at a loving response. Man, God loves me that much. I, I just want to 
I want to delight in Him and He in me and I want to love Him and I'm going to do so through obedience, not because I'm fearful of what He's going to do. Fear's been taken away. It's my loving response to Him. To His gracious love. And I think one of the, the craziest things to think about is that Revelation 13 tells us that the Lamb, lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. He planned to do it this way. He planned to do it this way. Do we not see that in God's pursuit of His glory? For a second we think, man, that's kind of selfish. But that the pursuit of His glory resulted in the complete otherness, giving away everything He had, the pure love poured out on others. That was the pinnacle of Him making much of Himself. Emptying Himself of everything. To reclaim us as His children. Our adoption is not only our exoneration of our spiritual poverty, it's an invitation to enjoy the richness of God's love. It's an invitation to enjoy the richness of God's grace. So here's a simple question. Do you really believe God loves you? That's where it begins and ends. Do you really believe that God loves you? Do you really believe that God loves you when it hurts? Do you really believe God loves you when you make a mistake and you fall short and you're not good enough in your eyes or the eyes of others? Do you really believe as a father that God is loving you and always and every time giving you His best unconditionally How would your life change if you really believe that even in your mistakes, God loved you? Because the Bible says that He loves us before we're good. It says He loves us though we are bad. And that He never, ever, 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 ever stops loving us. Neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. What if I, nothing, what if they, nothing, can separate you from God's love in Christ? Can you show that last pic? I found this on Facebook. And it just brought joy to my heart. Imagine if that's a picture of our disposition towards God. I was fatherless. I did not have a family I've been adopted. I got a family now. I got love now. I'm protected now. I got identity now. I got everything now. That kid looks stinking happy. Why are Christians like that, huh? We should be joy filled. Do you think he's worried? Well, hope he don't kick me out if I find something bad about me. You know those parents love that kid. Who could love that kid, right? So when you think about your own children, for those who haven't, or think about him if you don't, the love that you have for your child that's unconditional, and you think, like, what could they do to, like, well, maybe, like, there's really nothing. I'm going to love you, even when it hurts. Jesus loved you, though it hurt cosmically. Do you believe God loves you? I'm going to close reading a section of Scripture that I would encourage you to read over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it describes this whole thing, and we'll close with this. It's Romans 8, about the first 15 verses. I just want you to enjoy this. And listen to the words because it's so simply said. There is therefore now no, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned your sin in the flesh. My sin in the flesh. 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, right? Here's the seal of your adoption. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Right? So then, based off what Jesus has done, not based on getting His approval, what He's already done. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear of rejection, fear of punishment, fear of being lost. No, no fear in the Spirit of God. But you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Daddy, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, God loves you like He loves His Son. Sit on it. Rejoice in it. Embrace it. And if you are not a Christian, know that you can believe if you confess through the mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead and really all that's to say is that He really loves me. How do I know He loves me? He died on the cross for your sin. If you compelled today to confess that, I would invite you to communing with us this morning. To come pray with me this morning. Do you believe Jesus loves you? And if there's a little spark in your heart that's like, I think I do, that's the Spirit of God in you. That ain't you. Let's pray. Holy Father, we just loved by you.